The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike LLC. Here we go. Fourth and eight. Coulter under pressure. Coulter on a keeper. Coulter wrapped up and brought down by Trinka Passat. And the Hawkeyes win it in overtime. here at Kinnick Stadium for Kirk Ferentz and the Iowa Hawkeyes. They improved to 5-3 and three and 2-2 two and two in conference play with this big victory here at home. Hello everyone, this is John Patchett and welcome to the football show from Hawkeyes Mike. We have our first of two weekly Reporters Notebook segments in this podcast. This show features Steve Batterson who looks back at the Hawks' thrilling overtime victory against the Northwestern Wildcats in Kinnick Stadium. You'll also hear some of what Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz had to say on the weekly Big Ten Coaches Call. This Hawkeyes Mike podcast is one in a series of our weekly programs which include Brent Balbinad and Marv Cook as well as sports reporters. Reporters Scott Docterman of the Gazette, the Hawkeye Susan Dank, and Steve Batterson from the Quad City Times. Be sure to check out Marv Cook's X's and O's show and our other Reporters Notebook podcast this week. The Iowa Northwestern game highlights are courtesy of the Big Ten Network with announcers Matt Devlin and Glenn Mason. A nice job calling the game, but next time Glenn may want to drink a bit less coffee before kickoff. We very much appreciate it and thank them. Hawkeyes Mike football programs come to you following every game during the entire season and are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer. One application lasts all day. Try the hand sanitizer used by the Iowa Hawkeyes and remember, the best defense is Prefence. And by the Marsh Cook Investment Group in Coralville, Iowa. Marsh Cook, for all your investment needs. Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz participated, as always, in the weekly Big Ten Coaches Conference call this week. Here's some of what he had to say about what makes the Iowa-Wisconsin rivalry special, about the Badgers' turnaround under Barry Alvarez, about Wisconsin running backs Melvin Gordon and James White and their effectiveness on the edges as well as up the middle, and the Badgers' running game as a whole, and about what makes C.J. Fedorowicz so effective in the red zone. You know, it probably starts out with the uh, geographic proximity and then, you know, the history of the series. And I only go back to 81, but, uh, you know, we've had some outstanding games through the years. You know, it's just uh, they've done a wonderful job up there, and it's been, it's been a you know, real challenge to play them. And, and, you know, usually it's a, if you like football, it's a fun game to, to be competitive in. The thing I remember maybe the most distinctly is when I left here in 89, you know, the program there, for whatever reasons, had really taken a turn, you know, and, and uh, attendance was not good. The, the team wasn't doing real well in the field, and I, I left here to go to Maine. That was the same time that Barry Alvarez uh, was hired at Wisconsin, and I come back nine years later, and it was just the exact opposite. Uh, in fact, we, you know, people invited to the celebration there at the end of the 99 year, and, you know, Ron Dane ran it up and uh, had a great performance, and the team clinched the Rose Bowl bid that year in that last ball. 
ball game. So yeah, it was just uh, a, a total uh, contrast to, to what I had seen nine years previous. And that's yeah, a real credit to Barry and everybody involved there, their players, the coaching staff, and uh, yeah, obviously since that time they've really done a great job. And that began before the '99 season, certainly. But uh, you know, so it's it's uh, just a real tribute to, to what can happen in a place where people work hard and work together. His uh, average from the running back position is over six yards a carry, and his, his overall average is more so. You know, I mean, he's, he's they use him effectively in some other ways too. But uh, you know, he, he's no surprise. We we tried to recruit him for obvious reasons, and a lot of people did, and uh, they did a great job of keeping him home. He, he's an outstanding football player, as is James White. James has really uh, done a, a fantastic job throughout his career. He's been a four-year player for him, and has just done a, a wonderful job. So, yeah, they lose one outstanding running back, they pick up another, and install another. And uh, I think that that's been part of the deal. You know, when Ball was there, Ball White were a great combination, and now they've got the same thing going with White and Gordon. And you know, how we slow these guys down or contain them—that's that, probably easier said than done because they really uh, have good guys up front to block for them. The fullbacks a good blocker, tight ends block well, and uh, then they, they throw the ball very effectively. You know, I don't know if there's a better player in our conference than the receiver. You know, uh, at any position. So yeah, you know, they, they make it hard for you. They, they you have to—it's a different challenge than what we faced last week, but a challenge in the same that you have to. You, know, you you can't just load up for one area. You have to try to defend everything, and that's easier said than done. I mean, I think it's probably you know, well documented. We were not really very explosive offense last year. Yeah, you know, we had a hard time scoring. Period, and uh, you know, it just it was one of those deals. So yeah, we're, we're moving the ball a little bit better now, and we're scoring a little bit better than a year ago, certainly. And you know, when you have a tight end with his kind of size and, and ball catching ability, it just makes sense that uh, you know he, he's going to be a good target for you down there in the red zone. And, and uh, yeah, he's done a wonderful job, and he's made catches. Uh, the other one, the one the other day, was a little bit different than some of the ones he's had prior, but he's made some really great catches, and you know that was. A great, great play on his part as well. So it's a real credit to him. Fumble and picked up by the Iowa Hawkeyes, and it's James Morris, the senior. Anthony Hitchens delivered the hit, and Morris with a fumble recovery. Ladies and gentlemen, this is big boy football out there. I said big time hitting going on, and it takes two. Both teams going as hard as they possibly can against each other. How many things have you touched today? Hmm? Ooh, a puppy. How many places have your hands been? Ooh, a keyboard. 24-hour hand sanitizer protection just makes sense. Prefins, a silica-based hand sanitizer protects your hands all day. Stays on. Up to 10 washings. Moisturizes. Alcohol-free. And safe for the kids. So go ahead. Touch anything and everything. Ew, a toilet. Prefins. Keep your hands germ-free all day. Time now for the first of our two weekly Reporter's Notebook shows. This one features Steve Batterson. You can read Steve's articles in the Quad City Times and online at qctimes.com. You can also follow Steve on Twitter at sbat79. Steve looks back at the Northwestern game and more. Steve, your overall thoughts on the victory over Northwestern, uh, the overtime win breaks for Iowa, a two-game losing streak and a four-game Big Ten losing streak in Kinnick. It leaves the Hawkeyes one win away from bowl eligibility, plus one win away from 300 conference wins in history. And given the recent history in this series, who would have ever predicted a defensive struggle? Yeah, absolutely. It, it was a win, and, and I think that's the uh, biggest thing Iowa takes from this, this game. It wasn't pretty from an offensive standpoint by any stretch of the imagination, but 
but uh, uh, you know it was a game that Iowa had to win with with defense, and and they found a way to uh, to finally uh, you know limit Kane Coulter. Now some of that may have been Coulter's ankle uh, not being 100, percent but uh, they certainly did contain him for the first time in in uh, in the past three seasons. Both teams had a chance to win that game near the end of regulation, but both made too many mistakes right there at the end to pull off the the regulation victory and turnovers and penalties both played a significant role in this game and especially hurt Northwestern. At a critical moment, no question. The uh, 15-yard illegal block that was behind the play on uh, Vitale certainly, uh, you know, couldn't have come at a worse time for Northwestern. They'd, they'd driven the ball to the Iowa 21-yard line and then to uh, then to turn it over on a fumble on the next play. It, uh, it went from bad to worse there for the Wildcats. And, and uh, it provided Iowa with an opportunity to, to at least take the game into overtime, which, uh, which worked out to Iowa's benefit, obviously. If you listen to Ed Podolak's call during the game and saw some of the still photos afterwards, there certainly could have been a lot of holding calls on Northwestern. Some people in their conference think that they get away with more holds than any other team. Yeah, I, and it, it certainly, uh, you know, it's just a matter of how often they're going to uh, going to throw those flags on those plays. And, and uh, uh, you know, for, for uh, comparison's sake, they, they threw it a few more times normally than what Northwestern is penalized for, but uh, it, it, did, uh, it did come back to haunt them in the end. Looking at the offense again for Iowa, second half offensive production woes continue to be a problem, I think a major problem if you look at the teams that are coming up next. And in fact, in this game, the Hawks offense was pretty much unproductive the last three quarters. Yeah, they really had the one nice drive to start the game and, and uh, you know, followed it with a field goal drive and, and, and then kind of stagnated. And, and that is a concern, uh, particularly with the way that Iowa has not been able to rush the ball after halftime. And it's been a collective thing. It's not just Mark Wiseman. It's 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 a team thing where uh, the Hawkeyes are not able to sustain drives. And, and uh, that that is uh, it's an ongoing issue. It's been a problem the last couple of weeks, and it certainly didn't get any better on Saturday. And, uh, you know, you, you walk away with a win, and, and you, from, a, from a player's perspective, you probably feel pretty good about that. But uh, there's still an awful lot of work to do with this football team. Hawkeyes have led at halftime in every game this year. They started uh, very fast again for the second game in a row. But as we were just discussing, they racked up 102 yards in total offense in the first quarter, then only 178 for the balance of regulation play. And, you know, you were just talking about it. It doesn't seem like it's any one thing, but it's kind of hard to pinpoint why this is happening. Yeah, it really is. And then you take a look at Jake Rudock's numbers after halftime. He completed 14 of 16 passes in the second half. So, so I mean, it, it's it, it's perplexing. It's a team that has, uh, has uh, you know, shown a, a wonderful ability to move the ball on the ground in the first half against, uh, you know, some solid defenses. Northwestern is a nice defense, and, and, and Ohio State certainly the week before has a pretty solid group, too. But, uh, uh, you know, it, it, for whatever reason, in that second half, it's just not clicking. And, and, you know, the inability to sustain drives, and, they're you know, they're finding themselves in third and long a lot more frequently in the second half than they are in the first. And, you know, I, I don't know if it's just a case of backs wearing down over time or, or frankly, uh, you know, defense is making a, a few adjustments to uh, curtail at least what has been productive in the first half. And, and I went on having an answer for that. To your point, it just seems like when Iowa's passing game is working well, and it was on numerous occasions last Saturday, then for whatever reason, either Davis and the play calls or Rudock making changes at the line, which he does have the flexibility to do, they move back to the run. And it, when they do that, it seems like they're running right into the teeth of their opponent's defenses. I don't get it. Yeah, there, there's been a lot of that. And, and you know, it, it tends not to be very productive. I mean, what you're, what you're seeing is, you know, those games that maybe win 
for four or five yards in the first half. All of a sudden, they're you know they're they're getting stacked up at the line, or maybe getting a gain of one or two, and then all of a sudden you're looking at a at, at a pretty challenging down and distance situation. Let's talk some more about the rushing game, which you just said largely disappears in the second half recently. I saw some comments after the game beginning to question just how well Mark Wiseman suited to continually try to run those outside zone schemes, and wondering if that's why we're now seeing more of Bullock and and more of LaShawn Daniels. Well, I think one of the things we've heard all along is is that they consider Bullock and, and Wiseman to both be number one. I suspect what we may be seeing is, is uh, uh, you know, a situation where they're trying to manage Wiseman's carries, uh, given his injury uh, situation a year ago and, and the uh, foot injury that he suffered a couple of weeks back. That they're, they're trying to be a little cautious with when they use him and how frequently they use him just to make sure that he can get through the season because they don't want to put themselves in a position where you've really taken that power back out of out of this offense. And, uh, you know, Damon Bullock is, is doing a nice job as kind of a, uh, a counter to that. And, uh, he provides you a little bit more flexibility going to the outside, and he also provides more of a receiving threat, which I think is, uh, you know, something that defenses have to respect. And, and it, it's been a situation where I think both of those guys are playing okay. Uh, neither of them are playing great football, but they certainly are doing some nice things to uh, to kind of, uh, you know, play off of each other. Uh, you know, between the two of them on, on Saturday, they ended up with 108 yards rushing, which uh, against a pretty salty Big Ten defense is not a terrible day, but it's certainly not as much as you would hope. I thought Jake Rudock had another solid game, even though he had the one pick in the late in, in regulation. It was sort of a meaningless pick. Uh, I think he was trying to make something happen there, and there was little time left on the clock for Northwestern to do anything. But then he was great in overtime. That TD pass to Fedorowicz was one of the best executed offensive plays for Iowa all year. Perfect touch pass into the face of an all-out blitz. Yeah, we really showed. Uh, you know, he really showed the poise that uh, you know we've been talking about all season long. But to deliver the ball and to put it exactly where it needed to be for for uh, C.J. Fedorowicz to go up and get it, and, and and to be smart enough to put it, put a little extra height on it to give C.J. a little extra time to get there to get it, really uh, shows what kind of a quarterback that, that Jake Rudock is. And, and you know, he, he was a little wobbly in the first half. He he took a couple of hits and uh, tweaked an, uh, a knee a little bit. Uh, even before he got kind of ran out of bounds, and it's one of those things that uh, if you take a look at uh, at his week to week growth, it continues to be probably one of the most positive stories on this football team. It's uh, a situation where I've got a pretty good sophomore quarterback behind center, and and he continues to show it. That overtime play—that's one of those plays that can define a young career, a career of a young quarterback. He hit ten different receivers again. Now that's counting Brett Van Sloten. Probably shouldn't do that. He did a nice job at spreading the ball around again. Yeah, he, re- he really did. And yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, Van Sloan's going to have to work to uh, to pick up a few more yards after those catches. But, uh, uh, you know, certainly a memorable deal. And, and, and certainly, that you know, something that could have turned very ugly really quickly uh, against the Northwestern strength. I mean, one of the strengths of this Northwestern team is, has been their ability to kind of get into those passing lanes and bat some balls away, which have led to some interceptions, which, uh, you know, beyond the late pick on Saturday, that, that didn't become an issue. And I, and that's a credit to, to Rudock as well, and, and just the fact that uh, you know he's doing a pretty good job not only managing the game and spreading the ball around, but the, he's not making a ton of those critical mistakes or, or even some of those mistakes that we saw earlier this season. In spite of the running wells, which we've previously talked about, and Iowa was outrushed in this game 225 to 136, but if you watch the video, the replay again, it was another solid game by Iowa's offensive line on both the left and right sides. Yeah, the line is definitely showing 
growth. Uh, you know, Brandon Sheriff is is continuing to to dominate, uh, and uh, you know, not totally unexpected. I mean, I I think it's uh, uh, you know he's a guy that uh, you know people had high expectations for during the course of the season. But what we're seeing is we're seeing some growth at those other positions. You know, the Walshers and and the Blythes are settling in a little bit in their roles, and and it's been good, decent growth. Uh, you know, here you know at the midpoint of the Big Ten season, it's uh, kind of uh, you know, refreshing to see some some growth after some struggles. Uh, you know, certainly you go back to the Michigan State game a couple of weeks ago, and you know this group has made progress, and and, and that's uh, three weeks worth of work. And uh, uh, you know, there's still another uh, another five weeks out here for Iowa, and with with the bye week included, and and it's uh, you know the growth is going to have to continue because uh, uh, you know the yards are going to get a little more challenging to come by as the season goes goes into November. One last point on the offense that was troubling, an issue they seem to correct in the second half, but in the first half, they had multiple clock management issues and, and used up all their timeouts with a lot of time left in the second quarter. That's the first time we've seen that all year with Iowa's new look and exclusive no-huddle offense. Yeah, there, were, there was some real confusion and, and and we really didn't get a great explanation as to why that happened, but uh, it, it, it was uh, somewhat troubling because uh, as you alluded to, you know, Iowa's execution has been fairly solid in that area, and Kim early, and it, obviously there were some communication problems going on somewhere, whether it be uh, on the field or, or on the sidelines. Uh, it wasn't flowing smoothly, and, and for Iowa to open a 10-0 lead in that situation certainly was uh, uh, encouraging to see from that standpoint, but uh, you know the execution and, and the timeouts certainly would have been uh, a little more valuable down the stretch if they would have been there later in the second quarter. Other side of the ball, Iowa's defense played very well overall. We already talked about this game being a surprisingly defensive struggle. They held Northwestern scoreless in the first half, and the Iowa's defense has now held opponents scoreless in the first quarter six times this year and four times in the first half. They also held the Wildcats well below their season averages in points, which were 31 coming into the game, and total yards, which was 420 coming into the game. Yeah, and then they kept them off the board in the first half for the first time in, in uh, five seasons. So uh, it really set a tone early. Coulter had to work for, for whatever yards he got, and he ended up with 60, which, uh, you know, was 106 fewer than what he had a year ago against Iowa. It starts there. Uh, the Venerick Marks absence is, is obviously a significant issue for Northwestern, and the, the fact that they're trying to find a trying to find a, an effective running back at this time is uh, you know uh, probably troubling for those folks. But uh, Iowa was able to kind of bottle up those other guys for the most part and did a decent job of limiting uh, limiting them to about four yards of rush, which for for that offense is not a uh, is not a great number. Hawkeyes came into this game with only eight sacks on the season, although they have had more success putting pressure on opposing quarterbacks. They got six sacks in this game, and coincidentally, the last time they had that many sacks in one game, 2007 also versus Northwestern. Yeah, it certainly was a, uh, you know, a situation where they got after the quarterback a little bit. Some of it was, uh, you know, some of them were, I guess you would say, tackles behind uh, the line of scrimmage as much as anything. Uh, Colts were trying to make the play, and they were able to get to him and uh, drop him back there, which, uh, you know, it certainly was uh, an effective, uh, you know, weapon. They kind of used James Morris as a spy a little bit, which is a little bit unusual for Iowa defensively, but uh, that seemed to work as well, and James uh, responded with with an exceptional game. Let's talk about something exotic that we saw, which is uh, not something you see out of Iowa very often, that unusual defensive scheme where they had either two or three defensive linemen and everybody, all 11 people, eight back, all 11 people standing up. That definitely seemed to confuse Northwestern pretty much throughout the game 
game, even after the half, uh, they didn't seem to be able to adjust to that. Yeah, and that certainly, I think, was the intent of that, was to, uh, you know, cause a, a few thoughts. And it, it was a different look. I was certainly, you know, they uh, more frequently went with a 3-4 as opposed to the 4-3, and some of that had to do with depth up front with Dom Alvis being out and the fact that they wanted to get a little more quickness on the field to deal with Northwestern. And, uh, you know, it's something that they've used occasionally a few years back. Norm Parker did it a time or two, and it, it was very effective on Saturday. Uh, now, will it work again? Who knows? I mean, that, you know, teams will adjust and prepare a little differently now that they know that that's part of their package. It, it certainly was uh, an effective uh, an effective look and, and a different look for Iowa. And uh, to have all those guys in the upright and locked position and ready to go, it was uh, it certainly, I think, uh, you know, led to the desired results. Yeah, the linebacking depth is showing a bit. It looks like they're trying to get Reggie Spearman more involved, certainly in situational downs, and he was in on every one of those formations, too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we saw Reggie in, we saw Quentin Alston in a few uh, passing-type situations. It, it uh, you know, it, it was a um, brings a little more heat, it brings a little more speed than maybe what uh, they would normally have with four offensive or defensive linemen, and it it, uh, it provided some uh, some issues that, uh, that uh, led to success for Iowa, which uh, critical element in stopping an offense that simply had run wild on the Hawkeyes a year ago. Northwestern did have a couple of sustained and long time-consuming drives in that second half. I'm sure it gave a lot of Iowa fans a sinking feeling there for a while, but ultimately the defense held up, and in overtime, they were terrific. It was like a, a total a defensive effort there to stop Northwestern in those four plays in overtime, and the terrific play at the end of the game by Louis Trinka-Passat. I watched that uh, last night again four times on replay. He, you know, went across the line, fell down behind the line of scrimmage where the quarterback was standing originally, got up, looped all the way back around. He almost looked like he had uh, wide receiver running back speed and tracked Coulter down uh, near the sideline. Yeah, the big guy's pretty athletic. And, and, you know, he, he was a linebacker in high school. So, I mean, there, there is a little uh, there's a little linebacker in him and he showed it on that play. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things where, uh, you know, Iowa's defense uh, certainly rose to the occasion when it was needed. Desmond King came up with the big turnover late in regulation. He came up with with a sack in, in overtime. It's one of those things that, uh, excuse me, pass breakup, but it's one of those things that uh, I, I was a little surprised at how much Northwestern stuck with Coulter as opposed to maybe handing off to kind of loose, loosen things up a little bit during their, their four downs, but it, uh, it it certainly played out to Iowa's advantage, and, and, and the defense looked like a, a top-flight Big Ten defense on that series. Another game where, again, you saw overall great play by Iowa's uh, starting linebackers. They did have some issues in those two long drives by the Wildcats. They seem to be overplaying sometimes, getting taken out of position. But James Morris, for the second time this year, named Big Ten Defensive Player of the Week. Terrific game by him. And Kirksey actually led the defense with 12 tackles. Hitchens added nine, plus two tackles for loss and a sack. It was a good day to be a linebacker. And, you know, all of Iowa's linebackers came to play on Saturday, and they, they seemed to elevate their game to another level from what we have seen in, in previous weeks. Not that they've been playing poorly, but uh, they certainly uh, all showed up ready to go, ready to ready to compete, and and, and, it, and it certainly had a, a huge impact on slowing down a, an offense that, uh, you know, had rushed for, for 349 yards against the Hawkeyes a year ago. Another important factor in this game for Iowa's defense was they were largely successful in holding down a Northwestern productive passing game. Northwestern only had 104 yards through the air. Iowa's defensive secondary in this game only gave up one long play, 31 yards to Dan Vitale. 
Cal. And Iowa's defense kept their best wide receiver, Tony Jones, in complete check. He only had one catch for four yards. Pretty solid game by the secondary, no question. They, they kept the, uh, the receivers covered. Coulter found himself scrambling around quite a bit. That led to the six sacks. It also uh, 12 tackles for a loss total in that game. And, uh, you know, whenever you can get get into the uh, across the line with that kind of frequency, you're going to you're gonna disrupt a lot. And, and uh, the passing game was among the things that, uh, that really uh, kind of fell apart for Northwestern as, as uh, Coulter uh, found himself kind of just running for his life a lot. A bit surprised, especially given the, the talent at place kicker for both of these teams. Maybe coming into this game, people would have thought special teams play would have been a bigger factor. It really wasn't. Each side had one made field goal. I guess uh, people were both first-guessing and second-guessing Ference on his decision late in the fourth quarter to try to kick that long field goal into the wind. That was a miss. You look overall at Mike Myers' play this year and, and with his made field goal and two PATs on Saturday, he moved into second place all alone, all-time in Iowa history with a career a scoring total of 291 points. He gets taken for granted, I think, a little bit. Uh, he's kind of gone about his business fairly quietly uh, and just consistently delivers, whether it be the you know the the PAT streak, which is is now at what 108, I believe, to uh, to just being fairly effective with with that foot from a, from a decent distance in terms of field goal opportunities. And you know, I think he would have liked to have seen that that one last chance, a chance to kind of go out and redeem himself after the fourth quarter miss. But uh, you know, Kirk uh, Kirk had that on his mind a little bit too. I think their their objective was to try to move it uh, in about 10 yards, move the ball to 25, and, and give him a chance from from about the same spot where really he had, he had missed previously, but uh, the interception obviously ended that uh, that opportunity. Uh, you know, I, I think Mike Meyer is one of those guys who, who is going to be missed when he's gone next season, and uh, he's been awfully consistent and, and productive, and he, you know, he had a, he had a pretty important, uh, you know, 38-yarder in the first half, or, or that game wouldn't have gone into overtime. Well, that's the positive side of Iowa's kicking game. A more negative and troubling concern appears to be the punting of Connor Kornblath, who, and he's already played in some big games this year and in some some tough stadiums to play in but I thought he definitely underperformed last Saturday even when he had the win behind his back he wasn't doing a very good job punting he's been pretty inconsistent and and uh, you know I mean it's been kind of feast or famine and, and when it's been feasted it's been pretty good but the, the famine is, has been the issue and that's been a, a season-long concern and and we've seen this inconsistent uh, you know game really kind of you know from from the start and it didn't change last week I mean he averaged 40 yards which uh, was actually approved over his, over his previous performance at Ohio State but uh, it, it, it was uh, as you said I mean he, there are situations where you just need the punter to deliver and you need him to deliver uh, a pretty good kick and, and we haven't seen that consistently yet and, and uh, you know given the fact that there uh, really isn't anybody else listed on the depth chart uh, it's going to probably stay that way the rest of the year especially as the weather turns into November becomes much more of a factor than what it has been. Any closing thoughts as we look ahead to Wisconsin? Well, I, I think, you know, you find yourself uh, feeling probably a little better about where this football team is at right now compared to where it was a week ago. You know, they, they've continued to make progress. They've even the record in the Big Ten at the midpoint within a win of bowl eligibility, and, and now you have a, 
uh, a very dominant running team coming to town in, in Wisconsin. And this will be the biggest challenge that this uh, that this line has faced this season and on, on both sides of the ball. And, and uh, the Badgers have been awfully good at, at running the football. There's not a lot of, of uh, suspense in terms of what they're going to try to do. Uh, and when you do, uh, uh, you get a little too, uh, you know, overboard in terms of, of defending the run. Uh, they certainly have uh, Abadaris and, and uh, you know, who has been one of the most effective receivers in the Big Ten. It, it, this, this is probably, uh, you know, probably behind the Ohio State game, it's probably the second biggest challenge on the Hawkeye schedule. Hasn't been easy. It won't be easy. What a day for Jake Rudock and the Iowa Hawkeyes and the Hawkeye faithful here at Kinnick Stadium. Well, what a great football game. The only bad thing, it's over. That's a team defense, and all of a sudden they're running, and they're not going to let Kane Coulter pull it down again. For Kirk Ferentz, a glorious day here on a beautiful October Saturday from Iowa City. The final score, Iowa wins it 17-10 in overtime. Just a reminder that you can participate in our shows by offering your own comments and opinions on the Hawks. The toll-free hotline is available 24 hours a day. Call 866-74-HAWKS and make your voice heard. Visit HawkeyesMike.com, go to the News and Events section, and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, team schedules, and more. And you can subscribe to all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts through iTunes, and you can follow Hawkeyes Mike on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. Also, be sure to check out all of the Hawkeye stories, features, and blogs in the Gazette, the Hawkeye, and the Quad City Times. Our thanks again to BTN for the game highlights this week, and thanks as always to Steve Batterson. We hope you've enjoyed this Hawkeyes Mike podcast, that you'll come back for more, and that you may think about participating. You can do so by phoning and making your own voice heard on our shows. Call 866-74-HAWKS. It's all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMike.com. One passion, many voices. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.